Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast, where we discuss faith, mission, the church, and the intersection of all three. Today on the podcast, we have the privilege to talk with Beth Wolf, lead pastor of Clarksburg Church in Clarksburg, Maryland. She shares her story of how her church is leading missional endeavors in the Clarksburg area. You can check her out at clarksburgchurch.com. So welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. This is Alan in Knoxville, Tennessee. And with me, as always, Brenna Varner in Albany, Oregon. How you doing, Brenna? So good. So good. I'm so good. good. I get to hang out with you all. And I love all the people on this call. This is why I do the podcast. If anyone's listening, it's totally selfish. It's just so I get to hang out with these people. (laughs) Yes, it's beautiful. Uh, Of course. Yeah, we'll we'll say the same thing as well. And Terry Ishii in Austin, Texas. How you doing, Terry? I'm doing super fantastic. Super good. You had to go a little bit better. Okay, that's yeah, awesome. But yeah. what we're really excited about is having Beth Wolf in Clarksburg, Maryland. How you doing, Beth? So good. Super duper de duper fantastic. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> so you got to go a little bit higher. That's it. That yeah. wasn't right. very convincing. I mean, you know. Yep. Yep. <laughs> doing good. I was just playing the game. I was playing the game. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. Beth, this is your second, third. How many times have you been on the podcast? I can't I even remember know. now. Yes. I don't know, but I hear that if you've been on the podcast five times, you get a jacket, a members only yes. jacket. Yes. So right. I'm yeah. working for that. I'm, I'm trying okay. to move ahead to that. Yeah. yeah. You and Angie Ward. Angie Ward's close too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's good. There it is. That's awesome. Well, uh, how about this, Beth? Why don't you just tell us a little bit about you, your context, just in case if nobody's listened to the previous podcast, give yeah. us a little bit about you. Yeah, um, I am married with a husband. I have two kids, middle school and elementary school. Um, I live in Clarksburg, Maryland, which is about 18 miles outside of the uh, Washington, D.C. area. And um, so we're caught up in that whole DMV um, craziness that, that, it, that, is, that is it. Um, and, uh, and so I um, cut my teeth in ministry back in Arizona and moved here about seven years ago now um, as a senior pastor to a small church restart. And which uh, anybody who says that church planting is harder than restarting, I will go to blows with you. Um, and so, uh, so I've been doing that for the past seven years. I'm extremely passionate about exegeting local communities in order to understand how to embody the gospel um, in a way that it is actually good news. And I don't believe that we can do that without really having a deep understanding of, of the place that we're living and understanding the community that we're being called to. So I've been spending the last several years in, um, in, in rebuilding a congregation here, but also mobilizing them to be the disciples, as Forge says, in the place where we live, work, and play. And so um, any other context pieces that I need to throw out there? Is that a good, good summary? Yeah, that, that, that's a great summary. I, one, I would love to unpack Clarksburg a little bit, because I think yeah. some of this conversation where we're going, uh, yeah. knowing Clarksburg is going to be important. Yeah. So Clarksburg is right next to Germantown and Gaithersburg, Maryland. And, and crazy, it sounds crazy, but Gaithersburg and Germantown are um, two of the top 10 cities in the nation um, that are pegged for being the most diverse cities. Um, Mm. And you never would think that there'd be two people in in Maryland, two towns in Maryland. You'd think, you know, LA, it's gotta be LA, it's gotta be this, it's gotta be that. But it's actually um, Gaithersburg and Germantown. And uh, Clarksburg is the next town over bordering both of them. Gaithersburg has some weird boundary lines. So, so 
Clarksburg's right connected to both of them. And the only reason we don't rank is because we're much smaller. And we were considered for a number of years as the last developable land of Montgomery County. And so they have, the county has invested um, a lot of money um, in developing the land to have more housing. Um, We've doubled in size in the past 10 years, particularly due to the housing shortage that is true across all of America, but particularly in Montgomery County. Um, And there's lots of reasons for that. There's, when you dig into it, there's lots of uh, racial uh, discrimination that has happened uh, that has caused this housing housing shortage. Um, but in order to t- sort of respond to it, the city has allowed or the county has allowed Clarksburg to be developed very quickly by home builders. It's been very beneficial and lucrative for the home builders. But what we've seen happen in Clarksburg is we've had tons of houses be built very quickly without the infrastructure to support those in the house. Uh, that live in these houses. So what I like to say is we have brick and mortar homes without the resources to make them, or brick and mortar houses without the resources to make them homes. Mm. So we have extremely over uh, overutilized schools, overcapacity schools. We have very few restaurant opportunities, parks. We don't have, um, uh, we don't have any of that stuff. Um, so part of my dream, oh, and the other thing that's really important about Clarksburg to know is it's an extremely diverse area. Oh, wait, I already said that. I'm repeating myself. Um, it's extremely diverse. So when I go into my kids' um, elementary school, it's like going into the UN building. There are so many different languages that are being spoken, and there's so much there's so much diversity in that area, in this area, that that's one of the things that I love about it because it's like the kingdom of heaven has come here to Clarksburg. If, if we're talking about the kingdom being a place where every tribe, nation, tongue is gathered together, the kingdom of heaven is ripe in Clarksburg. Yeah, that's awesome. It's funny. Uh, we were chatting recently and you, you were you were kind of sharing a little bit about Clarksburg and you mentioned you guys got two subways and a Dunkin' yeah. Donuts. Yeah, we yeah. got two subways and a Dunkin' Donuts, but there's that's no... About it. That's it. That's That's it. it. Yeah. So you're eating fresh, but that's all you're eating. Yeah. And so, um, but it it reminded me because I've I've been in church planting for a long time and um, there's a town here outside of Austin that like it just almost similar. I think your guys are 29,000 in population. Hutto, Texas, right outside of the city, 27,000, like no grocery stores. Like maybe a subway. There's like there's the you know maybe one little fast food thing like a Sonic or a Dairy Queen, and then there's nothing there. There's just yeah. absolutely nothing there except homes and schools. And so if you're gonna go on date night, you got to run an errand. You're always leaving your community, right. and it makes it insanely difficult to try to be a community leader to be a catalyst for connection and mission and those sorts of things. And so. I totally resonate with the uphill battle that you face in Clarksburg. But the thing that I love about you, Beth, is that you still find ways around that. Like I've, I've found, I've, I've, I've been a part of three church plants in Hutto and none of them have stuck. And it's because they've, they're, they were, they were led by good guys, good heart, but they just didn't have that missional imagination, that missional tenacity to say, I'm going to figure out a way to connect and, and and create sustainable environments where people can be invited into. It's huge. Yeah. 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 And you've yeah. done a great job of that. 
You know what I also noticed when you were talking was all the things that you were saying about your community. I'm like, well, yeah, I've heard other people talk about their communities in those type of ways. Like, we don't have this, we don't have that. But when I hear them talking about it, it's a kind of a moaning, you know, like, you know, Um, and what I'm hearing in how you're framing these things is you're naming the reality, but I'm, I just hearing you, I'm getting excited about the possibilities. And I think there's something magic that you are a way that you're framing it or the way that you're processing it that I want to know more about is how are you seeing those brokenness uh, areas as just amazing opportunities rather than like, oh, my community sucks. Like, cool. It, yeah, there's the, these areas suck. So where where are the opportunities? Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I would say this sucks. Like, why can't I get a good yeah. cup of coffee? Like, yeah. I have to drive to another town, but even still, I just have Starbucks. Like, it's just, you know, all those things. But yeah, instead of bemoaning those things, we are, we're trying to use them as an opportunity in order to engage. And so one of the things that we have noticed about our community is that there's very few places um, for our high school students and our middle school students to gather and congregate and be. Like they can go to school and then they can go home. And uh, if you talk to Clarksburg residents, we are not a dangerous community, but if you talk to them about like, hey, what, like, what is not good or what are you worried about? They're like, well, there's a lot of Amazon package theft. Mm-hmm. Like uh, there's a lot of uh, graffiti down by the green belt, which is this little trail that they've been trying to put together um, for people to walk on. And none of it is like dangerous, but a lot of the families have come from places of danger and this is their refuge. And what they see is if we don't stem this, if we don't start addressing the fact that our high school and middle school students have nothing to do in our community, we're going to start seeing different behaviors and different, you know, things that we left start to come. Basically, the city's going to erode um, underneath our feet. And so, and so there's in the few places like the subway and the Dunkin' Donuts, there are signs up in those places and they say, um, no minors like no unaccompanied minors. Mm. Well, what does that mean? Like that means that my eighth grade daughter like can't walk to Dunkin' Donuts with her friends after school and like have a little extra time to hang out. Additionally, there's this other tricky thing with because there are so many different cultures that are gathered in our town together, there's a lot of um, taboo rules about having people over. So Mm. in a Western American or or Midwest uh, sort of growth you know, I was born in Texas. My dad lived with, we lived in Minnesota, Virginia, right? Like all those things, having people over is just really the norm. Like you just invite people over. It's not a big deal. However, I talked to my friends who grew up in India or our first generation Indian Americans, my first generation Guatemalan American friend, right? They're like, we were not allowed to have people over to our houses. That was a big taboo. You don't invite people over and you are not allowed to go over to friends' houses, Right. So there's a lot of like, unless you're family, you don't do that. So there's a lot of like, okay, so where are people supposed to be together? Right. Mm -hmm. So when you start digging into that cultural difference, you start realizing we've got a problem, but we also have a big solution. So we have our property, the inherited amazing thing about restarting one of the benefits, right? It's really hard, but one of the benefits of restarting is we actually did have land. We have 10 acres of land in the middle of a place where there's no land left, right? So we started to look at that and be like, okay, this is an asset. Like, how can we use this land and develop it in a way that potentially could create space for people to be, right? That's kind of the phrase that we started to talk about. 
places to linger, places to be known, be seen, um, yeah, be believed, be all of the things. Like, how do we create that? And it's funny because I, when I first came to Clarksburg Church, I at first was like, I don't want it to be about people coming to the church, which I still agree with. It can't, it's got to be about us being sent. But then there was this interesting flip where it was like, okay, but I have land. And what does it look like to let go of my preconceived idea of, I don't want people to come to me, but actually use the land for the benefit of them. So how do we create this space for, um, for these students, but also all the residents of Clarksburg um, to really be known and to belong? And so then a crazy thing happened. Our land is 10 acres. We're situated right next to a high school, a block away from a high school, less than a mile from a middle school, and then a a mile, 0.1, 1.2 miles away from another middle school. There's 4,000 students within walking distance of our property. And we just said, and they put a bike path right in front of our property that goes along a main thoroughfare, like the main road that cuts through Clarksburg. Um, And so we said, okay, what does it look like? to develop this space to actually be a place for these kids so that as they're walking home from school um, they can stop and meander and linger and 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 be known and be loved and all of those sorts of things so we just started dreaming about um, what could that look like on on the space so yeah that's awesome man i love that man Beth, one of the things that I I love that you're doing and you kind of just really just kind of spoke over it. You didn't even go deep into it is just navigating, you know, the cultural differences and and how to deal with that. And that requires a lot of cultural intelligence, a lot of Mm. intentional cultural intelligence and, you know, being being mindful and and having some awareness uh, relationally and emotionally to be able to do that Mm. well. And so good on you guys for being being intentional. I think at the start of the the pod, you had talked about your love for cultural uh, exegesis and, and just really mm-hmm. understanding uh, how a community operates and works. And so um, let's talk about the yard because that, that's what you guys are calling it, Clarksburg Yard. Yes. And Clarksburg so yard. what's what's the dream there? Like as yeah. you are, you've laid out uh, the understanding that no one's going to, most people aren't going to go into their homes. So we've got to create a third space. Yeah. So what is that going to look like? What's the dream? What's the hope? Share it all. Yeah. So we actually, so I, I had had this dream for a really long time and I had sort of drip fed it throughout the years of like, oh, I wonder what this could be. I wonder what this could look like. Um, and then me and another coworker of mine who also is on staff at the church, we went through this process that our denomination, we're non-denominational, but part of the church of God, Adam Anderson, uh, Wesleyan holiness movement, but we're not denominational, but that's a whole <laughs> other conversation. Um, but, but they do this thing. They just have piloted this thing that they're calling chapter four. And it was this process of, of basically formalizing what it is that we had been doing this whole time mm. and sort of starting to say, what does it look like to start to write these things down in a concept paper that gathers the statistics so that you can not just talk about it in theory or in idea, but actually have it written down on paper in a formalized, almost like professional or uh, what's that when you go to university, like academic, academic way um, that you could then pass it on to different people in your, that are in power, really in positions of power, Mm -hmm. local government leaders, um, 
people that are in charge of large budget budgets and funding and all that kind of stuff. And so we began to walk this process with them um, to get it written down. And so we wrote out a concept paper. The interesting thing about the concept paper is we had all of the data on the exegesis of the community. And then when it got to the part of the concept paper that was like, okay, now what are you going to do? Here's our proposed solution. It was like these really vague strokes of like, I think it's going to be like this. And, and even when we even started to clarify a little bit more, it was about what the space would look like, right? We knew that we really would love to have a coffee shop on the space that did sort of farm to table sort of little treats and things like that, but was low priced enough to be able to access our student demographic that they would be able to participate. We even started to look at like after school federal government funding to see, could we get the government to subsidize um, some sort of, you know, we just were looking at all sorts of things. We knew we wanted it to be an outdoor venue that had sort of like a, like a stage or something that maybe we could do like battles of the bands or something like that. We wanted fire pits for s'mores. We wanted yard games. Like, so we started to like dream about what the space would look like. And amazingly, one of the guys who leads the chapter four cohort, his name's Ben Sand, and he does great work in Oregon with foster care and very similar exegeting of the community in order to uh, get the most vulnerable kids taken care of. His pushback was, great, you've described what the space will look like. But what we're way more interested in is what will you do with the people who get there? Like Mm -hmm. what happens at the space? And that was a hard stop. I think I put the project away for six months because I was like, I Mm -hmm. don't know. Like I, hell if I know, like I, I don't know what to do (laughs) with it. And so, um, and so it really took me a really long time to begin to like, try to think through what happens. And then sort of these pieces began to come together um, where we started thinking about um, mentoring programs. Like, what does it look like to do that? But how do we get kids to actually agree to be mentored? Like, how do we do that? So then we started reaching out to some of our schools and um, listening to some of the things that they require their students to do and some of the struggles that they have. And what we discovered was all of our, or what became clear, we knew it, but we just hadn't put the pieces together, was that all of our students are required to do these things called student service learning hours. Um, They have a certain number of volunteer hours that they have to complete by the time they graduate. And when we began to dig into this, what we realized was our students had to travel to other communities to complete these Mm -hmm. because there's very few that are available in Clarksburg. And when you have a thing that says, hey, here's an opportunity in Clarksburg, they have a website and throw up your thing. Ours get filled right away because there are so many students that have flagged Clarksburg. If it's here, I can get there. So do it. Um, And so we started saying, what does it look like for this to become the SSL Hour Hub for Clarksburg? And that this is the place where students can go to find out about service hours here, but also we're generating a ton of opportunities for our kids to serve. And then we began to learn about internships that were available through the school, but again, none in Clarksburg. So we said, what if we start creating internships from this space where maybe they could learn how to make coffee and bake and have job resources and stuff like that? So that's when the community began to say, oh, this is valuable. This, this we want here. Um, So, I mean, they were excited about the opportunity to gather and be But what really put it over the edge was when we started partnering with some of those local institutions and they, they, that we were helping them 
complete their purpose. You know, before we move any further on talking about the yard, there's something that's really key in what you're saying. And I want to ask a question because you you've done some incredible work in exegeting your community. And I talk to pastors all the time that like do kind of like research and they like they know the the data, but you know, <laughs> you are intricately involved yeah. uh, in what's happening and asking why and then listening to what people are finding is bad news. How did you posture yourself to be actually mm. able to hear? Not just to know, like, I yeah. know these are the things that suck, but I'm hearing because what I think what happens, you know, for us is we come in and we're like, cool, here's the things that suck and here's how we're going to fix it. Um, right. But then it actually doesn't meet the need like you've done layers and layers of work of listening to hear what the actual needs were to like drill down to that so how did you posture yourself to do that that's a great question so i would say that there's probably been um two really significant things no three three really significant things in 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 posturing myself in the community Oh, now I want to say four. We'll start with three. We'll start with three. Okay. So one of them was actually, you know, I started engaging with Forge and was a Forge hub leader. And so um, I had a group of people that I had gathered around and was taking them through the Forge stuff um, and talking about all of the ways live, work, and play. How are you in the space and everything? And we had to name our context. And as a leader, I also wanted to name a context. And early on when I moved here, I had named my context as my kids' elementary school. Felt very connected and called um, it felt like a good overlap because I was already there wanting to be involved in their lives. And so I had named the kids elementary school. Well, in this process of leading these other people through this process of embodying their their faith in their context, one of my Forge 4G people, like the persons I was leading through the hub stuff, called me out. And he actually said, Beth, you went into the school and basically tried to set up a whole bunch of systems and tried to help with that. But I don't hear you talking about any relationships that you're actually in. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're absolutely right. Like I went in and was like, what are the, you know, kids that are homeless? What do they need? And what do these need? And I actually, I went up and I set up a whole structure where we had um, these classroom coordinators. So um, every, I set up a structure where every class had a classroom coordinator that then would try to get all the parents and the kids to meet together and be in relationship together. And like, like it's been the six year long project and we're finally taking off and every class has a coordinator and somebody to like take care of other parents when they're sick and, uh, make sure everybody feels known. And if there's a new student, they reach out to that family and they assimilate them to the process, right? Like I'm basically setting up small group leaders within these classrooms. Mm -hmm. But he called me out and he was like, that's great that you set up that system, but you don't know anyone. And that was this huge light bulb of, I need to know people. And through this divine twist of fate, um, a couple weeks later, um, a mom that was in my daughter's class texted me and a few other moms and said, will you go get wine? Will you come over and have wine on Saturday at two during a play date? I, at the time, uh, this is pre-pandemic, at the time, didn't drink a lot at all. I mean, I don't drink a lot now. That sounds terrible. <laughs> I'm fine. My alcohol consumption is fine, but like really none, like none. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, but I'll, I'll come. And so um, began this relationship with these moms and they are 
their background so different from my own. These women have become my best friends. Um, And so, but they are very much like, they're not church people. Like, you know, like they're not, they're not any of that. And, and, and this was my introduction to how do I listen well? Um, how do I, how do I, how do I, how do I let go of my power? And, 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 you know, they're, they're people of color, they're families of color from diverse backgrounds from other countries, first generation here in the United States. And they call me out all the time. And they're like, one time, one time we tried to drive into a park after sunset, which sounds really benign, but like, she was freaking out. And I was like, it's fine, just drive. And she was like, you need to recognize your white power in what it is you're saying right now. You need to recognize that because for you to drive into a park after sunset and break the law um, is nothing. For me to do it, I'm risking everything. Mm -hmm. And so it was just like this, you know, and we have these conversations all the time, but to begin to dismantle my own assumptions about, we, we had like the class over for an Easter celebration or no, it was a spring celebration. Cause I was like, I know not to do Easter. It was a spring celebration. And then we dyed Easter eggs. And I asked all the moms to like, or dyed eggs. And I asked all the moms to like bring a hard boiled egg. And they're all like, I don't, oh, we've never done this before. And I was like, what? This is a classic, you know? And so begin to dismantle those things. So I think that that has been a significant thing. The thing where the forge person called me out, the thing where I actually became friends with mm-hmm the people. Um, and then the last really significant thing. Okay. So the last thing also having to do with my context in my school is that I actually became the PTA president at the, at the school. So I had volunteered for a really long time, was very resistant because I felt like that was taking a position of of power and I didn't want to do that. So I just volunteered and volunteered and volunteered. And then there was this gaping hole and they needed somebody. It was post pandemic. It was the first year coming back. Um, in-person learning and the volunteer pool had been decimated. And so I was like, okay, fine. And actually the women that I formed these relationships with, I roped them in because their kids went to school too. I was like, you're doing this with me. And I don't know, I think there's a week that goes by where they're like, I hate you that you made me do this. <laughs> but but here we are. We're like, they're, they're, they're not necessarily like, they don't know, they are not yet followers of Jesus. Um, but here we are together yeah. engaging in kingdom work to help cultivate belonging and inclusion and being known and seen. Um, last year we did our, our school because of the growing size of our community. Our school was um, nearly 300 percent overutilized. So we had the school was built for 300 people and we had 800 kids in the school. Mm. And so, and the, the, um, county basically said, uh, sucks to suck. Like, I don't know what to tell you. We have no resources left. And so we rose up an army of people and we basically said, no, you, you have to do something for us. Like we don't have classrooms for these kids. Like they are there. The classrooms are what were office spaces. Like you have to do something. And so we, we rallied around and, and, uh, and got the county to do some different things. So like, that's like good news. Like, Four more portables when you don't have enough classroom, that is good news. Um, The county keeping the commitment to break ground on the new school in our community, that's good news. So like those are kingdom things. And if we're not involved and we don't and, and, and we're not in relationships, but also we're not stepping into the the needs that they have and the positions that they have. 
then, and we just keep saying, come to our church and volunteer for our like hospitality ministry. Who the hell cares? Like, why? Like go to them. And if they say, this is our need, step into it. Now, that being said, I always struggle because I tell those stories to our congregation and a lot of our congregants are not wired apostolically. And they're not the people that are going to step up and be the PTA president and lead a charge against MCPS and be like, we need whatever, right? And so it's hard because it doesn't always look that way. For me, that's what it looked like. And in this context, that's what it looked like. Thank you for taking that journey. I wanted to go back because I wanted to hear because often I hear people say like, oh, I know this, this and this are wrong. But the way that you the way that you were talking about, we thought it was this. And then we kept listening. And then we thought it was this. And then we kept listening. There's some I'm learning a lot from what you're just saying now even if at the first iteration, it's not quite right to keep listening and to keep pressing in. That's really, really beautiful. Yeah. And I think there's some really good teaching moments here. I mean, I think there's some great lessons for our listeners to kind of mind out of this. And one of that is, is understanding that not everyone's going to be dumb enough to be the PTA president, which <laughs> you know, the two of us. I, I, yeah, me and you, I, Terry, me and I've, you. I've, 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 I've fallen for it twice. I did the elementary and then they got me again at middle school. And then I guess the third time, because I'm now the booster president in the high school. And that just there is a whole nother, it's, it's a nightmare. But yeah, I know not everyone's going to do this. And right. so, and, and one of the things I'm just more and more convinced of every, every day and I'm just repeating myself all the time when I'm working with uh, with leaders is mission should address some sort of injustice. Mm-hmm. Like your mission, if you're if you're really asking, am I really on mission? Am I really partnering with God? You should be addressing some sort of injustice. Now, again, define injustice as widely and broadly as you need. Uh, and in, an injustice could be someone's lonely. Someone's needs an right. encouraging word. Um uh, Schools need to be held accountable that build the freaking school. Stop, stop holding off on the cash, right? Get, get the enough teachers in the classroom, provide STEM education. Like those are injustices. And so, but the thing is, is we just address the injustices that we feel called to do. And so for someone like yourself, who's a little more apostolic, a little more go-getter, you're addressing injustice is going to look large and big and people are like, whoa, that's amazing. I could never do that. But then there's equally everybody in your congregation. And I know you've spent years mobilizing, encouraging, equipping, and and giving them spaces that they can address injustices of all sorts that they experience in their own in their own everyday life. And I, I think that's huge. And so listeners, if you're hearing this, I just encourage you, this is something we all can do. Not all of us are going to be the PTA president. Not all of us right. are going to challenge the civic organizations in our city. Preach. I'm not going to be the PTA uh, president. <laughs> Come on, brother. You still got a couple of years. Uh, finish strong. Um, but we can all address injustice in, in, in right. some sort of way, right? We can, And so we just have to ask. I think that the key is asking the Holy Spirit. What injustice? What? Where is? Where is? And I just I define injustice as where the kingdom is not yet reigning. Right. Is the kingdom not reigning in this moment? Is this not a kingdom space? And so, how do I? How how can I help in those spaces? And I think that that's really important because I, I think a couple of years ago, you know, I was really struggling because everyone when I first moved here. I was really struggling because everyone was telling me, no, Clarksburg is this really wealthy area. Mm. If you really want to go where the need is, you need to go to Germantown. Like that's where there's some 
deep ep- economic issues. And that's true. Like on paper, Clarksburg is a more economically well-off place than Germantown is. The difference is, is when you begin to dig deeper, like when you really begin to listen, what you slowly start to discover is that, yes, but there's a lot more resources in Germantown than there are in Clarksburg. And even more than that, one of the reasons we're in the situation we're in where there's all this development without the infrastructure is because Clarksburg actually has no representation in our local government. Mm. So the reason the school wasn't getting built, the reason we don't have sidewalks, the reason why they're not widening the roads, the reason why, and there's traffic all the time, the reason, like all of these things is because there's representation for those those spaces in the lower county areas, but there's not in Clarksburg. And the reason there's not is because Clarksburg doesn't vote. And the reason Clarksburg doesn't vote is because it's primarily made up of first generation Americans who don't even know that how to participate in the system in order, you know, so like you begin to pull the thread and you begin to see, oh, this isn't just, oh, it hasn't caught up. There is actually, there's actually issues here of marginalization. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I want to shift this conversation to a bit of a masterclass because Beth, I think you can right now provide some really, really helpful information because there's two things that are I'm, I'm kind of noticing in your story that I bump up against all the time when I'm working with, with pastors and leaders. One, people are so freaking quick to just build something. And right. just like you said, it's like, I knew what I wanted to create in a space. Yeah. But not having an answer, what are you actually going to do if people show up? It's like, right. oh, we're going to build this. We're going to do a coffee shop. We're going to do an ice cream shop. We're going to do a blah, blah shop. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then not have a plan for people. So that is one piece that I think is huge. We have to figure out. And this other piece that, and I've got several, I'm not going to say their names. I've got several guys in my mind that I'm thinking about that they come with that same rhetoric of, Terry, I just, I live in a community where there isn't a lot of need. Like I'd have to leave my community to go help people. And I just don't buy that. And what I've noticed, and I'd love for you, this is where I'd love for you to speak and maybe bridge those two things, because I, I, I'm assuming in bridging the one thing, it really does answer the other. But like, how do we how do we dig deep? How do we break through the surface level yeah. to really know that, okay, there is need here. There, there are injustices that can be addressed here, but what does it take to actually do it? And I don't want to just say people are being lazy, but maybe they are. I don't know. How do we dig deep? I, I don't know. I can only tell you what I did. I don't, I don't know how other people should do it. But I think that it comes from relationships mm. and paying attention. Yeah. I think that when we're moving too fast and we just assume that we know the answers, we're not looking for the things we don't know. I think one of the best things that you did in this story is you shelved the project for like six months or so. Oh, like, yeah. I think there's so much <laughs> wisdom in that because I just know guys and I know you're an apostolic leader, but I know so many apostolic leaders that would just like, nope, push it through, push it through. I will, we'll figure it out. And and then they would do it and then they would, they would have something and they would be like, this doesn't work. This was a waste of time. Scrap it and on to something else. Yeah. 
But for you to say, you know what, I'm just going to set this aside and really wrestle with these questions. But it was in that time that those relationships formed. You started to listen. You started to learn and hear like, oh, no, there are injustices here. And there's actually huge implications of what how we can step in and be a huge blessing. We can be good news. And man, I just I wish more planters and pastors would just follow suit. I mean, I think you, like I said, it's you just basically laid out a masterclass mm-hmm. of how to engage a community and create good news, mm-hmm. to create yeah. a space for people to engage the kingdom of God because you were patient enough, you were willing to invest in relationships to hear and to learn and to understand and then to, in a very reasonable and mature way, respond and say, here's how we can address this and then invite the community to be a part of it. Mm, I love it. It's so smart. Two things that I heard that Beth did um, was she wasn't so precious about the things that she built. (laughs) Like, yay, look at me. (laughs) So she wasn't precious about it. Like she was able to be like, oh, this isn't working and move on. So huge. Um, But then the, I think one of her postures was that she was constantly exegeting um like it wasn't a one like oh i've exegeted this and now i have a solution and now i just get to ongoing learning yeah Yeah. like there she exegeted and then she exegeted and then she exegeted and i I think what i'm hearing from beth today is that work is never done like it's not like you do it once and then you're done you know your community just the other day joel so joel's very um connected here in albany he goes to all these networking um things because of his job we know our neighbors very well we've lived incarnationally here for 10 years and one of our neighbors is running for city council. And so he's like, hey, Joel, will you come canvas with me? And Joel is an introvert. And he was like, this is my nightmare. Um, but yes, <laughs> I believe in you. And um, I want to support my friend and my neighbor. So yes, I will go canvassing with you. And he said it was amazing. I didn't know how much people knew about our community and how much they actually cared. He was so surprised by that. Um, So even being super connected, um, even being, you know, rubbing uh, elbows with the Chamber of Commerce, with all of these people, uh, he still went door to door in our own neighborhood and with a different frame, a different lens of the question, he was shocked at how much he didn't know. And I think it just goes to show like, we're never done. We're never done exegeting. So, so, with that, I think that an interesting thing is, is going back to the chapter four thing that sort of helped me at least write the ideas on paper. One of the things that they talked about was the, the reason they started their uh, efforts to help pastors write these things down was what they found was they had a whole bunch of pastors who were trying to fix their church. They did this experiment where they had the pastors write down what was wrong in the congregation and how they, you know, what they, what needed more of, what could be fixed, all that different stuff. And then they said, okay, now turn the paper over and write what's wrong with your, with, with your community. What's, what's wrong in your city? Like what's broken there? And so they wrote that down and they did this experiment with this first cohort of pastors where they said like, okay, we've been doing our efforts to try to fix the congregation, to have it be more disciply more disciply. That's not a word. More. It's fine. Make up. It is now. Mm -hmm. It is now more, you know, um, more spiritual, whatever, more engaged, more voluntary, whatever the thing is. Okay. Let's stop. 
that for a second. And let's begin to pay attention what's happening actually in the city. And let's go one year with us all pushing really hard to engage and, and deal with these issues. And let's see what happens. And what they said was, at the end of the year, every single pastor who had actually put considerable effort into engaging the problems of the city actually had a healthier congregation at the end of the year than they did before with after all of the efforts of trying to make it healthy, right? And and I would say that that's true of us too. We actually have, a, 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 and I want to highlight, we are very tiny. So anybody who's listening that's like, oh, you must have had like yeah. huge amounts of people in your congregation and lots of money and what I wish I had, you know, whatever. Um, we're like right now, we're like less than 40 people meeting on a weekly basis. So like, mm. let's just that idea of like, we're a big mega church. Let's just that's get right. that out of our brain right now. Like we are a small group of people um, that because we have been... Um, uh, belligerent, that's the wrong word, belligerent <laughs> about going after the needs of our community and serving our community well and recognizing that the church exists more for the sake of the non-members than the member, like because we've just been going after that um, tirelessly, um, we actually have become a, not a bigger, this isn't a growth strategy, but a more faithful, yeah. um, more healthy congregation as a result of it. Um, where we have people that are chomping at the bit trying to figure out, yeah, I'm not supposed to be president of the PTA, but what am I supposed to do? Yeah. What does this look like? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's so good. Beth, thank you so much. I mean, yeah. just being on the podcast today has been just a blessing. I know our listeners will, I mean, you just, you dropped a ton of knowledge. So mm. I know you're listening, rewind it, listen to this again. There's so much to kind of glean uh, from this. Um, one of the things that I, I, Beth, I just love your heart and you being a part of Forge America. And this is the thing I love about Forge is like, it's, it's the practitionership. This is, it's still an experiment. Like yeah. you're, you, this is still the beginning. So that's the yes. other thing is like, don't think that this is like fully formed and done. Like there's still lots to learn and still lots to do. And there, it, it's still an experiment. And we and we still know. need half a million dollars if anybody wants to invest. <laughs> yes, uh, send, send all checks to Forge America and we'll make sure she gets a cut. No, no, um, no, no, no. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but but it's this idea that I love that Forge America carries this posture of just do it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just do it and we'll 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 just trust that God's gonna do something. And whatever yeah. God does, we know it's 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 worth it. And so thank you for being a practitioner. Thank you for cultivating other practitioners. And thank you for, for leading in a way that inspires other people that they can come and think like, how can I address injustices in, in my community? And so um, Clarksburgyard.com is the name of the project. It's still early on. Uh, if someone is listening and you're like, this is your jam and you want to like financially jump in, Check the website out. Uh, Alan's going to, in the beginning of the show, there was all the show notes of how you can connect with Beth. Just connect with her. She's phenomenal. She's one of my favorite uh, practitioners. She's one of my favorite teachers. And so, so uh, our, our tribe is so, so blessed to have you, Beth. And we're so grateful for you. Thank you for the time. Um, and man, we're praying for Clarksburg Yard, uh, Clarksburg Church, and, and all the things that you guys are doing. So man, yeah. keep it up. It's awesome. You'll have to come Thanks, back. Guys. Once it's off the ground, yeah. we'll have to come back and hear the update <laughs> and how things are going. We'll share. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Good. Beth. Thank you for listening to the Forge America Missional Podcast. Forge America cultivates practitioners who join in the mission of God. 
If you'd like to know more about us, feel free to check us out at forgeamerica.com.